Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Every morning I wake up, and the first thing that hits my mind like a billboard is that I'm dying, and I've got to call my own... I've got to shut the switch off myself because I'm not going through to the end at all. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, what reporters can learn from photographers. I know, Lane, you love photographers. You always have. Uh, talk about some of the lessons you've drawn from them. Well, I, I always think of the photographer as my partner in the story. So I feel like half of the reporting and storytelling comes from them as well. Um, and I learned really early on that it's a whole lot better to go with a photographer, not meet them at the scene, not have them show up later, but travel to the story with them, travel to the interview with them, travel home with them, because then you can talk about what you think you're going to get, and on the way home you can analyze what you did get or didn't get, or just have something to go, WTF just happened there, you know, it's like having a a partner in crime, but also a sounding board. Um, My favorite photographers also serve as therapists, I think, sometimes for each other, you know, especially when we're doing really um, hard or sad stories, it's nice to have somebody to be able to dump it on and, and talk it through with. Um, I've learned to shut up <laughs> a lot because the photographers are giving me the evil eye, you know, especially now we're doing video with almost every story. So it used to be it was just me sitting on the floor with a notebook. Now it's often me, a still photographer and a videographer, running microphones down people's clothes and stuff. And so it's a lot more set up and it's a lot more um, restrictive on how I feel like I can react to photographers. So, I mean, to the subjects. So I learned to like do a lot more like nodding and shutting up. <laughs> um, and and also just the importance of observation, you know, um, sitting back and letting things unfold, which I'm not very good at. But photographers are used to. Yeah. They're very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I've always appreciated how photographers are cinematic. Um, can't phone it in, obviously. you got to be there. But thinking about angles and lighting and now, of course, like you're talking about with video, sounds and B-roll and all of that, um, lots of things that I think reporters tend to overlook. Did you – so did – like when you were starting out and you're working with photographers, I mean, did were you looking for those same things or you feel like that was – they were sort of your entree into, uh, into that world? I think – Learning to go with them was a big part of it because a lot of times, especially covering news stories, we would show up separately and we would get different views of the same thing. And maybe different assignments even, maybe different thoughts on what you were going to be doing. Exactly. And, And they're worried about an image, whereas I was much more worried about information or intimacy. You know, um, I think B-roll has been a big thing for me just in the past few years, learning to look for really little details that 
can be exploded into meaningful uh, moments in the story. You know, I, I never thought about collecting B-roll before um, working with the title. Oh, that's interesting. So you feel like that's you've picked up on that for as detail too for your stories. Absolutely. Huh. And and I think it helps. Like it helps a lot to have another person. Um, in the scene sometimes. Hmm. So if the photographer is what might seem like wasting time setting up lights or, or microphones or stuff to me, now I'm going to use that to sort of like, okay, I can catch my breath for a minute and talk to this person about kind of meaningless things and work on developing a relationship before the camera starts to roll. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, Eve Edelheit, who is a great young photographer here at the Times, says what she loves about working with you is that you treat photographers as equal partners. And that same thing that you just talked about, being able to sort of walk away from a moment and both of you compare notes and think about what just happened, what didn't you get, what did you get. Um, So I assume that what that conversation helps you to do is like confirm your instincts or maybe brings you to something you hadn't even thought about. In the best conversations, yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes it's just it's having somebody to vent to. You know, I, I get tired, especially on a project. I feel like I shouldn't bring it home to my husband and my kids. I shouldn't dump on them all of the crap that I went through that day to get whatever it was. But a photographer is their game. And <laughs> it's nice to have someone to sit there and just be able to bitch about stuff with sometimes, you know, or to be like, why the hell wouldn't you talk to us about that? You know, just to help somebody else to... To bounce things off of is, is extremely helpful, especially when it's a character you might not like or enjoy. You know? Which leads us to Prince Vinegar. <laughs> I ran into this neurologist here a year and a half ago because I asked him, I said, how, how much longer do I have? And he said, well, between two months and two years. I can't tell you. And there isn't even a doctor in this town that knows anything about ALS. I never felt ill in the beginning. I felt very normal, never got sick. But I looked in the mirror and I'm losing weight like you can't believe. I lost 40 pounds in a matter of about 120 days. And I'm looking in the mirror and now I'm shocked. to write a story. Florida is, uh, you know, behind the times on a lot of things, but they don't have any um, legislation that allows people to choose if they want to end their own life, even if they have a terminal illness. So we wanted to write a story about the right to die, and we wanted to find a person who had a terminal illness who was determined to take their own life. And we went through some organizations and some, you know, like uh, health groups and stuff, and we found, through a physician, we found a man who we thought was perfect for our, our, our story pitch and uh, he was very determined to end his life until it was time and then he sort of lost all his fortitude and so the story took all these turns and crazy backslides that we hadn't expected and he also didn't ever stop talking so we would go there to visit him for three hours and it would basically be three hours of listening to him tell a lot of lies and it was exhausting and I think if I hadn't had Eve and if you ever drive home to bitch about I might it might have been a very different ending. I, I don't know. It, it, but she and I, um, we did almost 98% of the reporting on that together, sitting in this little tiny trailer with this man. And so you just you had to wait him out, essentially, right? To get to the <laughs> to get to the end of the story. Yeah, I, I had another editor at the time who was like, well, when, when's the story going to end? When's the job? I'm like, he's not dead yet. Like, <laughs> it's like we couldn't predict when he was going to die or or if he was going to die, and 
he got more cantankerous as the, the days went, and months went on, and he was in more and more pain. And you know, we were the only people he had to talk to besides his wife, and so it was a big show every time we came. And uh, he was—he told a lot of lies too, which was kind of frustrating to sort out, try to sort out what was real and what wasn't. So that segues to uh, we have a little snatch of the story that uh, Lane can read. Um, so uh, if you would. Um, just talk a little this will this will introduce people a little bit to him and by the way i should say uh if you want to find any of lane's stories uh you can look on our website tampabay.com you can just google her name for instance and prince vinegar you can find it that way honestly that might be the better way to find it (laughs) but here's uh here's a little here's a little piece of that story Okay, so this story was originally called The End. <laughs> and then it became Prince Vinegar's Last Stand. Because it kept dragging on and there was no end. Um, Ted said he used to be beautiful. Thick brown hair, a knowing grin. I was a golden glove boxer, strong and sexy, he bragged. I was an Adonis. But after Lou Gehrig's disease ravaged his body, after he dropped below 100 pounds and could barely heft himself out of his chair, he looked more like Gollum than a god. His oversized elf ears protruded behind cave cheeks. His bald head and Abe Lincoln beard seemed too heavy for his neck. Beneath his thin cotton shirt, his bent backbone bulged. I'm not pretty anymore, he kept saying. Talking was difficult. He had a rattling cough and kept spitting dark phlegm into a yogurt tub. But his gray eyes were bright, his words impassioned. He was going to use his last days to do something grand, he said. Something to fix this doomed country, to help his wife pay the bills after he was gone. He wasn't going to just wither away and let the disease win, he said. When life wasn't fun anymore, he was going to exercise his right to die. In Florida, where doctors cannot help terminally ill people take their lives, Ted said he was determined to find a way to do it himself. But how do you decide when life is no longer worth living? When it's time, would you be able to let go? Ted said he wasn't afraid to die. Ted said a lot of things. So Ted was, he really was afraid to die, apparently, because he kept putting it off and he kept putting it off. Um, so how did the story end? Not to give away too much because people could catch up with it, but he died. He died. <laughs> <laughs> but were you guys there? So we, we were there. His wife had um, promised him she was not going to call the hospital. He didn't want to die in a hospital. And they ended up um, bringing hospice in at the last moment just to get her some help and get him a hospital bed. They didn't have any money in hospice. So it was one way to help get the supplies they needed. Um but he ended up um, becoming so, I guess, mean is the only word for it at the end that he was lashing out against her and he was endangering her. And she called um, 911 and an ambulance came and took him away. Hmm. And he did die in the hospital then? He came back home. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Oh, he wouldn't stay. That's right. Okay. So, I mean, this story was a real exercise in patience for both of you. Um, and, like, I mean, it must have been even more frustrating, I would think, for Eve, because what does she have to shoot when he's just sitting there talking on and on and on? But Absolutely. The best, the best stuff Eve got 
um, came from what we should have done a lot earlier is spent the night with them. You know, we were driving up for the day and spending the day and then driving back for the night. And at a certain point in time, I was asking his wife about their evening routine. Um, and she was talking about how difficult that was and that she would put him to bed at night, but he would always still get up and make her coffee in the morning, even though he could barely walk. And so we, we, we knew we had to see that, that bookend of like going mm-hmm. to bed and waking up and me and he spent the night with him. And I think her best images came from that night and that morning. And I know some of my best material did 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 you guys get inspired to do that based on like i'm thinking about your conversations as you're coming and going and what you're probably frustrated because there's not a lot happening and the story is not progressing and we watched property brothers way too many times with these people (laughs) that's all they were doing watching property brothers and eating chicken pot pies but uh you know when 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 we realized it wasn't just going to bed you know that there was more than that at the night time. Yeah. we had to stay and do that. Do you do you look? Do you think of that as wasted time, or do you like? I mean, I know it must feel like that in the moment. Like you guys are sitting, and probably even I think photographers probably feel the the crush of got to get back and get to the next assignment. Maybe even more than an enterprise reporter would. But like at the end of the day, obviously it it let you write with a lot of authority, and it let her kind of understand where the best opportunities might be, right? Yeah, and I think at a certain point in time, she stopped filming everything, too, because there was a whole lot of nothing going on. And I think she realized it's okay to put down your camera for a little while and wait for a moment. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to all be on all the time. And shifting, you know, we started out where it was 98% about Ted, and about halfway through, we realized, you know, it's about half about Ted, half about his wife. So sort of shifting the lens and following the wife when Ted was meeting in the room changed the dynamic of the reporting, too. Hmm. Um, I wondered, yeah, how you you guys kept each other motivated through this story. You were talking about not going home and bringing it home and and bitching, uh, but like, so yeah, did you guys get it all out when you were going back and forth and just like, and then did you feel like, well, I mean, you you were invested in the story at that point. I mean, you're not going to sit there and say, okay, well, call us when you're dead, Ted, right? <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> Yeah, it was hard to know because he, he kept, every time we saw him, he seemed a little worse, you know, yeah. but it wasn't progressing the story at all, you know, and um, we had to wait out an awful lot of stories about things that didn't matter and that probably weren't true because uh, it was hard to get him to talk about dying. Right. Just, he knew we were there for that. He knew that's why we were writing the story, but he didn't want to talk about it more than he wanted to do it. <laughs> Uh, whether it's this story or other ones, you work closely with a photographer. So I was curious, you know, what do you want from them besides the opportunity to vent? What are you looking from for, in that relationship? And what do, you, what do you give them in return? I think I'm looking for them to be a partner, most of all, in, in the reporting process, too. I mean, there are some photographers I've worked with who don't want to do anything but take pictures. And they want to be told, you know, where to show up, where to put the tripod how to make the guy look good and walk away. Um, I like I like photographers that like reporting, too. I like photographers that want to ask questions, that are thinking on their own wavelengths about what does this mean or what's going to happen here instead of just relying on me to do that. Hmm. Um, I like photographers that are listening for opportunities. So, you know, if, if I'm talking to the wife in the kitchen about something that's going to happen I, and the reporter's out there talking to the guy on the porch... I want them to come back and be able to say to me, oh, they're going to go to the chiropractor tomorrow, or oh, they've got a, a bowling date tomorrow, like finding other opportunities to go and report things that are happening, not just 
take a picture there and move on, you know. And and you've been lucky. You've had a lot of those kind of relationships with photographers where you've had people like you've talked. I've heard you talk before about, yeah, you'll be in a situation and you're both. You, you split up and you go different ways and, and sort of you're, you, you know, they're listening. You're looking for opportunities for them and they're looking for opportunities for you. Absolutely. And, and I hope in terms of what I give them, I hope I'm giving them the chances. Like, and I know I've nudged Eve and other photographers, like, you know, something that they might not see or might not know, uh, you know, be on their radar for um, that I can point things out to that visually might be impactful. So when you're working with a new photographer, somebody you haven't worked with before, do you kind of talk through, like, how you like to work and try to feel out how they like to work? Has it become a process, or do you just let it sort of flow more informally? Well, I know we're not supposed to do this, but I have my favorite photographers. (laughs) And you know who you are. (laughs) And if I'm working on a big story, I usually try to get one of them involved early instead of just getting assigned somebody that might not be as into it. Um, If it's a new person I've never met, I want to ride the assignment with them. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. want to meet up there and work around each other. I mean, that happens on deadline. You know, it has to happen sometimes. But if it's something I care about, I want it to be a photographer. If I don't know him, at least I want to have that 20 minutes in the car to sort of go, here's what I'm thinking of, and mm-hmm. here's how I like to work, and, I remember years ago, um, I think at a time when not everybody thought this way, I remember you always coming back from an assignment with a photographer and trying to get proofs of things and then putting them up around your desk and having that be, I I guess, recall and and kind of like help you if you're going to describe a scene. Well, okay. I mean, like, was that your idea? Was it their idea? Like, how did how did that evolve? Because I and then I th- and I don't know if people, reporters out there who don't do that or work with photographers that way. I mean, that's that's a really it's it's like more in your notebook. I mean, you get to walk away and have and it's, well, and now with video, of course, you've got even more re- more resources. I think to kind of look back on your reporting and what you what you came away with. I'm, I'm a really, really terrible photographer. Like, really terrible. Like, my kids won't even let me take pictures of them terrible. So I know some of my colleagues take their own pictures on their iPhones and stuff when they're not reporting. But that doesn't do me any good because my sucks. So I started out really early asking if people would just make prints for me. And I plaster my whole cubicle with them because I want to be, like, immersed back in that world while I'm writing the story. And it helps so much to have those images there. I, I also stopped trying to write physical description for the most part because I, it was very laborious and difficult for me. And then I thought, well, why am I bothering? There's this great picture. Why, why do I need to tell you what this guy looks like? Because there's a beautiful portrait. So it kind of freed me up a little bit to just jump over that hard part, you know? I hadn't thought about that, but so you're like, yeah, you can see what's in the, you can also see, I guess, what's in the picture and what you don't need to describe, right? Um, have you used video that way? No. Not really. Yeah. Because the video, it, it takes me out of the moment to go look, call it up and look it up. But the photos can just be right there, you know, like a glance from my computer screen and I'm back in it. Um, I, we did do, I think we talked about this in a former podcast, The House on the Corner. The first time that I had audio recording of every single interview. Right. So that helped put together the story that we wrote almost entirely in dialogue because I'd never had that before. I'd never had mm-hmm. all the audio transcripts for every single interview, which was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there uh, are there parallels with sort of the most the, the photographers that you've worked with that have been the most focused on storytelling? Do you feel like you you guys are doing a lot of the same thing? You're in sync a lot of the time. There's there you know even though they're, you're holding a notebook and they're holding a camera, you really are it, 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 trying to get at the same same 
story, basically. And then, and it's working, when it's working well, we're on the same page. And yeah. usually I talk with them about, before I even start writing off, sometimes before I even start talking to my editor about it, I'll talk to the reporter, I mean the photographer about, where do you think this starts? Where, where do you see this ending? What, what's your big overview? Like, usually they have one big overview picture that's going to be the iconical image to carry this, and I want to know what that is before I start writing to... Um, and, of course, photographers have to be visual by their nature, so they're always looking for those kind of stories. And I think that's another lesson for reporters, I think, who want to be able to tell dramatic stories. Go find a photographer in the newsroom who's really – because they'll be out looking for things that they can document, that are things that are happening in the moment that they know are going to be compelling. They need to be there to watch it unfold instead of – some canned assignment that's not going to be as interesting. Right, yeah. and they often have ideas. They don't get to pitch the right. same way we do, you know? So I've, I've had some of my really good projects have come from photographers' ideas, no. you know? And then just going, what are you working on? Or, or they'll take a wild art shot of something and be like, oh, there's a story there. You know, there's something to come back to there. Right. We work at a place that has a great sensibility, I think, for photography and for videos. Um, Denise is... Uh, does a lot of our video editing here. And so if you are into visual storytelling, that's another check out our website and look at some of the things that we do. We do have a photo blog that's really nice uh, with almost daily offerings, right? So, okay, well, now it's your turn. If you have a question for Lane about photography or reporting or anything else, email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And please join us next week on Wednesday morning for a new episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.